0: Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Grove. My name is Stephen, and I am the other pastor here. Now, you've met us both. Uh, We're glad that you're here today. This is your first time with us, or maybe first time back in a while. If you're using this summer to maybe check out a church that you've been meaning to try and you finally have some space this summer. Or if you've just been caught up in what has been kind of the end of spring and the end of the school year and you're just now coming up for air, we're glad that you're here this morning. And if you're worshiping with us online, we're glad that you are with us as well. If you were somewhere beautiful, we are jealous. If you were somewhere beautiful and cool, we are really mad at you because we wish that we were there too. Summer is finally here in Dallas, Texas. But we are... uh, we're glad that you're here today because we are in the middle of a sermon series. Now, kind of in a previous life, the summer tradition in churches is you kind of preach something kind of lighthearted, something kind of fun, something interesting. One time we did like summer at the movies and we showed a bunch of movie clips and and so this year we thought we would do something totally different from that. And we would t- talk about vices, the seven deadly sins as they are affectionately referred to, but Uh, Over the last couple weeks, we have started to unpack this idea, and for the rest of the summer, um, and maybe the next year, we'll be in the middle of the series, it feels like. But we're going to be talking about this idea of vices and of virtues. And in week one, we defined kind of what a vice or a virtue is. So if you weren't here or you have slept, let me remind you, this is what we've been saying about vices and virtues. They're a habit. A pattern of action that forms your character. This is why we're not calling them the seven deadly sins. Because when we think of the word sin, it often refers to an action. But a vice is something different. It's a consistent pattern of behavior. And the reason that we're paying attention to the vices and to the virtues is because it is these patterns of behavior in our life that shape who we are and who we become. And so what we're trying to do by paying attention to these vices, these kind of ancient and identified kind of habits and patterns of action, is to use those as tools for self-examination into our own heart, into, in, into our own life. Because really the goal of the Christian project is to become more like the person of Christ. And so these vices are habits and patterns and ways of living that take us away from conforming to that, that image. The virtues that we're talking about, we have identified these in Jesus. And so these are habits and patterns of action that help us inform us more into the person of Jesus. It's really that simple. Whatever your actions are, become habits. And whatever your habits are, become your character. And that will lead you closer to or further away from Jesus. And so last week, we started it off with gluttony. And I had lots of comments as you were leaving about how this was going to mess up kind of your eating plans for that day or for the next week or so. And so you are looking very fit and trim this morning. I'm proud of you for following up on the sermon application. Uh, This morning, we're going to be talking about a different virtue. So if last week was gluttony, this week is sloth. And as I was working on the sermon, at first I thought... Oh, this will be something that none of us struggle with, kind of in our day and age. This idea of being too lazy, too apathetic, too unmotivated. It's not really the culture and the community in which we live. But as I was digging into sloth, I realized, oh, perhaps of all of the vices, this might be the one that the most of us struggle with. And I'll explain why in a minute. And it might actually be the one that works against us becoming like the person of Christ. You see, from kind of the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, we have started to see the benefits of productivity, of industriousness, of diligence, of efficiency, of work ethic. We have seen kind of the fruits of those efforts. And so over time, what we have seen happen in our society is the the development of a virtue of kind of industriousness and productivity and so the opposite of that of course would be laziness and this is what we typically associate when we think about that word sloth somebody who doesn't work somebody who is opposed to working somebody who is unmotivated and unwilling to do what is required of them as it relates to their work and so it's easy for us to kind of look at that and say oh that's not me This is kind of what I thought as I was working through the series. I was like, gosh, I feel like I've never stopped moving. I'm like always busy. I'm always doing something. I feel like there's never time to rest. Maybe you associate this idea of sloth with this scene from the movie Zootopia. Are you familiar with this? So I was going to show the clip this morning, and if you're not familiar, you'll have to go look it up. But in this scene, the main characters, the fox and the rabbit, have to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Which is so brilliant because on the other side of the counter at the DMV is a helpful attendant personified as a sloth. And this character moves painfully slow and everything takes forever and everything is delayed. And so I was going to show this clip to illustrate the point, but the clip is five minutes long because of how slow this character moves in this scene. And so I asked Allie and Michael, they're like, yeah, don't do that. You go over as it is. We don't need a five-minute clip in the middle of the sermon. But this is what we associate with this word. We associate kind of lethargy or being slow or not moving or being unwilling to move. And for us, kind of the spirit of our age opposes this vice. In kind of the famous words of Henry Ford, he says this about our society that I think is probably still true today. In fact, maybe the success that you've experienced in life, you would kind of point back to this kind of ethos, this mentality, this belief. But this is what Henry Ford said. He said, work is our sanity. It's our self-respect. It's our salvation. Through work and work alone, may health, wealth, and happiness be secured. My guess is if I would have to- have re- removed Um, who this was attributed by, and I said this came out of the book of Proverbs, you would have probably been like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that scripture. It's so ingrained into who we are that we believe that there is something inherently beneficial, virtuous about this type of productivity. This is why so many of us are so busy. We're always on the go. We're always moving. But as I researched this vice of sloth, what I found is that the original understanding, the original sense of this vice actually accommodated for all of the busyness and hyper-productivity and frenetic motion that our society is kind of identified with. It actually identifies this busyness as a symptom of sloth, of this vice. And so if sloth is a laziness of work, how can it be that the antithesis of that hyperproductivity, hyperactivity, is a symptom of sloth. Well, it's because we have lost the understanding of what this vice originally means. And to help us kind of clarify what this actually looks like, not just in our life, but in our heart, I want to kind of define the way that this Idea and this vice used to be described as. And to do so, I'm going to use a different word. This is a Greek word that they use starting in about the third or fourth century to describe this vice. And it is the word acedia. Now, acedia, very specifically, is resistance to the demands of daily life that God's love calls us to faith. So, kind of our contemporary evolution of the vice of sloth would be a laziness of work. Acedia, though, is different. Acedia is more appropriately a laziness of love. It's a resistance to, a fleeing from, the requirements and the demands of love as a part of our identity in Christ. Now, to kind of help us unpack the existence and the presence of acedia in our lives, Uh, let me tell you about yesterday. So yesterday, I officiated a wedding. And it's it's part of my kind of consistent wedding language that I try to weave into all of the weddings in which I officiate. I begin to describe for the couple the commitment to which they're making. This is not a commitment to always feel love for the person that they're standing across from but it is a commitment to choose, to demonstrate love to the person that they're standing across from. And the reason is this, and I say this in my wedding language, and some of you know because I've officiated your weddings, but I say that the reason that this isn't based on a feeling or an emotion is because our feelings are fickle. They change and they can subside, but a commitment to choosing love, even when you don't feel like it, that can withstand the test of time. And so in these next moments in front of God and your family, you're making a promise to be loving, true, and faithful to one another in the future, regardless of undulating internal feelings or external circumstances. And then I go on to talk about the significance of the vows, that they are a binding and a sacred promise, a holy covenant. What happens in a marriage is you take on a new identity, a commitment and a covenant to love this person for the rest of your lives together. There is this sense of an eternal commitment. But it's not just an eternal commitment. It's also a daily commitment. It's a daily commitment to demonstrate your love towards this other person. Now, as all of the married people, or people who have been in a long-standing committed relationship know, there will be lots of times when you won't feel like being loving to the other person. There will be times when you won't feel like putting their needs before your own. But this is the essence of the marriage covenant. It's a commitment to choosing love, even when you don't feel like it. And this resistance to doing the things that love requires of you in the context of this relationship, this is the essence of acedia. So couples, you know this. Your spouse has had a particularly difficult day. They come home and they're being particularly difficult. And in this moment, you have the opportunity to choose how you respond. You can choose to respond graciously, compassionately, empathetically. Tell me about what happened. It seems like you're really worked up. I'm sensing a lot of big energy from you. You don't seem yourself today. All of these words that invite, inv- invoke curiosity and invite conversation This is a way that you can respond graciously and compassionately and respond in love. Or you can say, I don't know what your deal is today, but you're being A and then fill in the blank. This is what happens daily, numerous times, dozens of times in the context of our relationships. It doesn't have to just be in a marriage. Parents and children, we know this as well. This commitment to love and care for this individual or individuals that you bring into the world. When the last thing that you want to do is to be kind and gracious to them because they have not been kind or gracious back to you in the last two weeks, right? This resistance to doing and fulfilling what love requires of you in that moment and in the context of that relationship, this is the essence of acedia. Now, it doesn't just manifest in kind of our physical relationships, but it also manifests in our spiritual relationships as well. Because in the same way that marriage is a taking on of an identity and a commitment to choosing to demonstrate love forever and every day, the same thing is true about being a Christian. It's taking on a new identity. We talked about this in week one. It's about dying to your old self, the old way of living, and taking on a new identity patterned and formed after the image, the example, the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are a Christian and constantly working to be Christian. Both things are true. There is an eternal and a daily dynamic and component to living in the example of Christ. It's something that we will constantly strive for and always be working on. And then every moment and every day, there will be opportunities to live it out and to demonstrate it. And so in the context of our spiritual relationships, there are lots of times when we know that Love is requiring us to pray, to serve, to give, to fill in the blank, to avoid some sin or some pattern of behavior. And we resist. We hold back. We distract ourselves. We stay too busy. We excuse and explain away why we're not making time to further develop and and to further form ourselves after the example of Christ. There are kind of three dynamics that early Christian thinkers started to kind of identify within acedia. It's resistance, restlessness, and resignation. Resistance, restlessness, and resignation. My guess is as you think about your own spiritual journey, you've come across each of these dynamics. If you think about maybe your relationships, you probably also experience these same dynamics. Because what is true about our love for God is true about our love for neighbor as well. It is both kind of each dimension as it plays out in our life. And so this resistance is, I don't want to. There are lots of times where I know what I should be doing as a follower of Jesus. And guess what? I don't want to. It's a whole lot easier to not. There's some internal resistance in me. There's also these moments of restlessness where I keep myself too busy. Well, there's always a good reason why my schedule is so full, my mind is so full, and I can explain away and excuse away not making time to develop and work on my relationship with God. And now as a pastor, this is really easy. Because whether I'm actually preaching that weekend or in a couple of weeks, I'm always working on either a sermon or a new series, and so I'm always thinking about Things related to God, I'm always reading about things related to God. And so time spent in the kind of the God sphere, at least as a pastor, is really high. But that's not an excuse for taking time out to, like, to work on and to develop my relationship with God. And so no matter kind of where you fall on the religious continuum or the level of spiritual formation, we experience this effect of the vice of acedia in our lives. We resist knowing what we should do. We are restless. We keep ourselves too distracted. These things that we carry around with us all the time in the form of our smartphones make us anything but. There's constantly a new way to be distracted, to disengage from the things that we should be doing, to focus on something else in our life. There's so many opportunities in our life to prioritize everything but our relationship with God and the implications of that on our relationships with our neighbors. And then the last is resignation because here's what's so interesting and so deadly about ascidia: is in our resistance to developing our relationship with God and in our restlessness to distract ourselves from working on and building up and forming ourselves in the example of Christ, we fill it with all of these other things. But these other things don't bring us the satisfaction, the meaning, the significance, a sense of completeness, of peace and rest that a relationship with God can provide. And so over time, we feel stuck. We feel stuck because we know we need to change and we're not willing to do the work required of that change and so we are in this place of limbo knowing that we're not doing what we need to be doing but not willing to let go of the old way to live into this new self that Christ has for us and so round and round this vicious cycle we go this is kind of the way that acedia wrecks havoc on our lives and the problem is the way out of acedia is the very thing that it resists. There's kind of this strange dynamic to Assyria. What gets us out of it is the the last thing that we want to do. Now, let me explain what I mean. The way that we move from vice into virtue is to lean into the daily habits, the daily practices, the daily disciplines of forming ourselves in the example of Christ. Now, Peter wrote to a church wrestling with the same dynamic, wrestling with the same problem, wrestling with the same issue in their life. And I want to show you what Peter has to say about all of this. So this is in 2 Peter in the first chapter. Talking about God, he says, his divine power has given us everything needed for a godly life. There is something at work in us, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, gives us what we need to live out, what this relationship should look like, the formation in the person of Christ, what the evidence of that will be in our life. So that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of your unruly desires, and you may become participants of His divine nature. God's Holy Spirit is working in you to move you from this place of vice towards this place of virtue so that you can be participants in his divine nature. But here's how you get there. Because, remember, the way that acedia works is we want to resist this progression. We want to resist this transforma- transformation into the person of Christ. So this is what he says. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with moral excellence. Look at this progression. Look at this development of this habit of this pattern of behavior that leads to character formation for this very reason you must make every effort to support your faith with moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control do you see how you're being shaped and you're being formed in this process and self-control with endurance endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and and mutual affection with love. And then he ends with this. For if these things are yours and growing within you, if you're making this transformation, if you're resisting the temptations of Asidia to resist this movement, to distract yourself and be restless, or this kind of res- you know, resignation from the work that this leads us to, then it will keep you from being inactive and unfruitful. And the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this inactivity and unfruitfulness is the result, is kind of the byproduct of acedia. It leaves you in a place where you aren't cultivating and developing your relationship with God. And developing further entrenched habits and behaviors that make you resistant to developing this relationship with God. Just like starting any new habit the longer you haven't been doing it the harder it feels right the same is true if you've ever tried to kind of read your bible every day or spend five minutes in prayer every day or to go to church every sunday if you have been out of that habit like maybe we all were during covid breaking back into these new habits has been really difficult for some of us we're still working on this it still feels hard it still feels difficult What Peter's saying is the more you do it, the easier it gets. The less you do it, the harder it gets. It functions like a flywheel. Do you all know what a flywheel is? Kind of these contraptions that are really heavy, and as you begin to push it, the weight and the inertia of the flywheel begins to work for itself, and it starts to spin faster and faster and easier and easier. It's hardest at the very beginning as you push on this. It feels like it's never going to move, but as its weight starts to contribute to the movement of this wheel, it starts to spin easier and easier. This is what Peter's saying happens in our life. This is kind of the cultivation of the virtue that opposes acedia. And the name for this virtue that we're trying to cultivate in our lives is diligence. Now, if acedia is resistance to the demands of daily life that God's love calls us to, diligence is the opposite. It's being faithful in demands of daily life that God's love calls us to face. This is characterized by people who seem to be so faithful. We call them that, right? Because no matter what, they seem to be consistent in their actions. They seem to be consistent in their habits. They seem to be consistent in the way that they're kind or they're generous or they're thoughtful or they're prayerful. They take time to discern what God is doing and what God is calling them to do. It's not momentary instances, but it's a long pattern of consistent behavior. This is diligence. This is kind of why it feels a little anticlimactic to say the opposite of not wanting to develop your spiritual relationship with God is to consistently develop your spiritual relationship with God. I mean, it's a little like, oh, okay, well, duh. But it's hard. This is really difficult work. This is something I think that we all experience, and I think kind of is symptomatic of what's happening in Christianity today. We claim an identity. We claim an identity of being Christian. We acknowledge Jesus with our mouths. But our lifestyles, our habits, our actions are anything but consistent with that identity. In a similar way, it's like being married saying that you promised to commit yourself to a lifetime of love, and then in day in and day out, you don't demonstrate any of that love. You want to be the recipients of the love of the other person, but you're not willing to participate in sharing that love back. I think this is what's happening with us in our spiritual lives, too. Sometimes we've been told that it's just enough to say that you believe. But what Peter's saying here. And what the early Christian thinkers are saying is that no, it's not just enough to say that you believe. The goal of the Christian project is to become like Christ day in, day out, action in, action out, habit in, habit out, is to form yourself after Christ. So the question is how do we do that? How do we move from vice to virtue? How do we move from acidia to diligence? As with gluttony, and you'll see with the other vices, there are spiritual practices that can help us flee from kind of these old vices and cultivate these virtues in our life. Because really, all it is is patterns of action and behavior that form habits that develop and form our character. So it's letting go of old actions and gravitating towards new ones. And that consistency over time is what's going to change and form our character. Now, the spiritual practice that the early Christian thinkers developed is kind of a funny Latin word. But it's stabilitas loci. It's a little warm today. How about we all say stabilitas loci together? One, two, three. Stabilitas loci. Good. Now you know some Latin. What this means is stability of place. Stability of place. And in the 4th century, Christian thinker and writer Evagrius writes this about stabilitas loci. He says, stay. You must not abandon the cell in the time of temptations. He's writing to other kind of Christian ascetics, monks who live out into the desert, who spend their time in their rooms, in their cells, cultivating their relationships with God. So, when he says the word cell, that's what he's talking about there. But what he says to them to develop diligence is stay. You must not abandon the cell in the time of temptations, fashioning excuses seemingly reasonable. We all have seemingly reasonable excuses why we're too busy, why we're too important to develop our relationship with God, to form our character after the person of Christ. Rather, You must remain seated inside and exercise perseverance. There is nothing today sexy about this spiritual discipline. It is a slow process. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. (sighs) Right? Evagrius goes on. Fleeing and circumventing such struggles teaches the mind to be unskilled, cowardly, and evasive. I have the opportunity to experience this every single week that I preach. My guess is Allie wrestles with the same thing. The task of crafting a sermon is slow. And it is dull at times. And it is circuitous. And I always find things that need to be done around the house or in my life instead of writing a sermon. There has never been a to-do list that has gotten in the way of me and my sermon writing. It's just this, what happens in my life. It's because this is what I know I need to be doing. And all my mind wants to do is to find a reasonable excuse to flee, to get up out of the chair, to leave the cell, to go do something else. But what happens is the more that I allow that to happen in my life... The more it happens in my life, my mind becomes, uh, becomes unskilled, cowardly, and evasive. And some of you were like, I knew it. But this is the process that happens when we give in to acedia, right? We don't develop the fortitude, the perseverance, the slow obedience, the diligence to do the hard transformative work. So, Here are a couple ways that we can practice stability of place in our own life to begin to develop that virtue of diligence. You're going to be able to guess them all. Consistent rhythms of prayer, scripture reading, or silence. Now, before you send me the emails, before you probably have already mentally protested in your own minds, I'm not saying that this has to look like the first 15 Churches love the first 15. The first 15 is good. This is spending the first 15 minutes every day in silence, prayer, and scripture. I think that's great. For some of us, that's not practical. For some of us, that doesn't fit with our lifestyle or our life stage. That's not what I'm like, advising that you do. What I'm advising, though, is despite all of your seemingly reasonable excuses, because I've got them too, what does it look like to develop a consistent rhythm? You get to define consistent rhythm. A suggestion would be that it's daily. It doesn't have to be at the same time, only if that's helpful. But a consistent rhythm of prayer, scripture reading, or silence. One of the things that I have done in my life when I have been better at cultivating this practice is that song that we just sang, Lord, I Need You. In the absence of prayer or words, I just pray the lyrics. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. That's it. You just pray. doesn't have to be that song. If you have a different song that you prefer, pray it. Or just sit in silence. And if you say, if I sit in silence, my mind wanders, that's okay. Once you notice it wandering, bring it back to focus and attention and go again. Now, if you say, hey, Stephen, but here's what happens in my life. I do this for a couple of days and then I get distracted and I don't do it for a couple of days. Great, just pick it back up. That's why it's called a practice and not a perfection because it is an ongoing fluid thing that we are attempting to cultivate in our lives. You do not have to get it perfect. Fidelity to perfection is not what we're after, but it's about the desire of our hearts to consistently pursue it, to avoid the resistance of not doing it, To allow ourselves to be overcome by the restlessness of all the other things. But it's about allowing our hearts to constantly seek after and search after God. So a consistent rhythm of prayer, scripture reading, or silence. A consistent involvement in a faith community. This is not just because we want you here on Sunday mornings. We want you here on Sunday mornings because of what this does in our lives. What it does to our hearts. We are better together. There is opportunity for conversation. There is opportunity for relationship. There is opportunity for bearing one another's burdens when we are a part of a consistent faith community. Now, it doesn't just say, show up. It says involvement, consistent involvement. And so if you've been on the sidelines for a while, it's time to get in the game. It's time to self-identify. It's time to say, hey, this feels awkward. This makes me uncomfortable, but I'd like to know a little bit more about the church. I'd like to take my next step here. Now, if you're at the place where you're struggling to make church at all, just keep coming back. It's about developing this consistent habit, this consistent rhythm. I think being in church is important, not just because it's good to do. But because of what happens when we are here together in this place, the way that we are shaped and formed, the way that we are able to learn about what it means to follow after Jesus. And then the last one is consistent practice of mutual affection. That's the words of Second Peter. It means serving. It doesn't have to be through the context of a church but it means an open-handed approach to life. It means to paying attention to, to slowing down to, to recognizing the needs of those around you. I experience acedia in this way every time I pull up to a traffic light and there is a man or woman standing on the side of the road with a sign asking for money. I'm not saying that you have to give them money. I'm saying that in my heart, I know that I should roll down the window and at least ask their name. And more times than I'd like to admit, I don't. The window stays up. I find an opportunity to look away and look at my phone and pray that the light changes quick. That's sedia. That is sloth working in my life. It is my resistance to, my restlessness of, my resignation to the demand of love in that moment we all have our examples of this this is just mine so what would it look like to commit to a consistent practice of mutual affection sloth is a very real vice in our life and it's not just being lazy but it's about not being willing to do what love requires of us so my prayer for us as a church is that we would start to take these spiritual practices of stability of place seriously, that we begin to cultivate these actions and these habits and allow them to shape and form our character. Because doing that will produce diligence in us. You don't have to get it right every single time. You just have to keep going. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And we're all on this journey together. Let me pray for us and we'll bring the band up to lead us in one last song. Gracious God, we thank you for today and this opportunity to be reminded of the calling that you have placed on our lives. By identifying as your followers, you have called us to live your life, which means to participate daily in a death to ourselves. So God, help us to lean into diligence, to flee the temptations of asidia and to grow in godliness more and more each day. We pray this in your name. Amen.